welcome everybody. I can see that people are entering into the, uh, the Zoom room and um, to join us for this webinar on the impact of the amphetamine captagon on Jordan, a qualitative perspective of patients and frontline workers. My name is Dr. Carol Palmer. I'm the CBRL director in, in Amman, Jordan. And um, it's my delight <laughs> to have with us today, um, Professor Mayada Wazefi, I hope I pronounced that correctly, and, um, and Dr. Chrissy Steenkamp um, to present the lecture today. Um, CBRL is, I'm honored that we have the, uh, the possibility to provide a platform to present uh, the results of, uh, of Chrissy and Mayada's work today. I had the pleasure of being invited to a workshop last, last May on the impact of the amphetamine captagon on Jordan. And um, one of the pleasures of my role is to attend such very, very interesting um, events, such as the workshop that I attended. And I was just looking back at my notes, I took copious notes, so I was clearly very, very engaged, and I very much look forward to, to, uh, to what we are um, going to hear today, which is a summary of their work um, past and ongoing. Um, I've put in the uh, webinar chat a, uh, the link to the CBRL website. I think many of you who signed up and are joining us today will know about us, but just a reminder about CBRL and where you can go to find out about our activities, who we are, what we do, and to encourage you, if you're not already, to join our mailing list and uh, possibly even consider being um, a member. So, um, I'm going... Uh, Professor Mayada Wazefi is going to speak first. Um, she is Professor of, of Pharmacy Practice at the School of Pharmacy at the University of Jordan. Um, with uh, nearly 20 years of experience in the area of prescription and OTC drug abuse and misuse, and mainly in the enforcement of the role of the pharmacist in the prevention, identification, and management of drug abuse and um, mis misuse. Um, she will speak first and to be followed by uh, Dr. Chrissy Steenkamp, who is a senior lecturer um, in social and political change at Oxford Brookes University in the UK, where she teaches and carries out research in peace and conflict studies with a specific interest in conflict in the Middle East. Um, and it's a delight really to present this project, this these speakers, because it's a, an excellent example of how more scientific, if you like, and, uh, and social science research can come together to understand particularly contemporary issues such as, uh, such as the impact of the amphetamine captagon. 
So if uh, Mayada, you would like to um, share screens, I can just give some house, <laughs> house notes, which is um, where we will, our speakers will speak um, for, uh, for maybe up to 40 minutes all, all together. And then there will be the chance to ask questions. Please put your questions in the, um, in the Q and A. Um, there is also the facility if you would like um, to, because um, uh, I know that we can see you as the host and the panelists, we can see you. But um, but you can't see each other so much. So if you would like this to be identified and say hello and say you're here, you can also um, put a comment and introduce yourself in in the chat too. So are we are we ready? Um, and afterwards, after the forty minutes, there will be um, opportunity to ask questions. So please. Um, Please gather your thoughts, gather your questions, and I will be chairing the session afterwards. And we have up to um, up to an hour and a quarter in total, so about another hour um, before we will close up and just say some final remarks. So thank you very much for being with us today. And if I can hand over to Professor Mayada, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Carol, for the introduction. Uh, hello, everyone, and thank you very much for making the time to join us today. It's such a pleasure for me to be part of the CBRL event and talk about our uh, joint research with Oxford Brookes University. Uh, in fact, at the beginning, I would like to um, thank uh, the GCRF. This uh, research was funded by Global Research uh, Challenges Research Fund in the UK. Uh, uh, in a grant to Oxford Brookes University to collaborate with the University of Jordan work on Captagon. I would also like to thank our star research assistant, Yaral Khatib, who is now among the audience. Um, and um, in order not to take a lot of your time, I will share my screen. And here you go. Uh, well, I would, well, the in, in the coming 20 minutes, I will talk about my part of the joint research, which, as Carol said, it's a multi- uh, national uh, and multidisciplinary. Uh, I, I come from a pharmacy background, and my colleague, Dr. Steen Kamp, she comes from a political social sciences background. So we are interested in Captagon from two perspectives. I would like to start my talk by this quote from one of our um, patients, from the you know patients whom I interviewed. Um, he said, my youngest son was talking to me and I couldn't tolerate him, so I kicked him. When I became conscious, I saw his blood and that was the moment I knew it was enough. When I saw how things escalated, I called mom and told her I needed help. If the situation goes on any longer, I might end up committing a crime. I thought that this quote summarizes the importance of why our research came in place and why Captagon is such a big problem um, from health, humanitarian, political, legal, and social point of view. So in the coming 20 minutes, uh, I will um, all, you know, touch base on the most important information about the uh, nature of Captagon, what Captagon is, chemistry, synthesis, pharmacology, uh, its legislation in Jordan, 
uh, why people takes uh, or why people take sorry peptagon the salt effects and the withdrawal symptoms and we'll summarize briefly the findings of my part of the research so starting with the peptagon what is peptagon peptagon is an amphetamine type stimulant amphetamine type stimulants are a group of drugs uh, that uh, comprise uh, central nervous system uh, stimulants they um, include amphetamine and methamphetamine. Both of them together are called amphetamines. They uh, also include prescribed or pharmaceutical products uh, containing methylphenidate, dexamphetamine, um, uh, fentramine, and other pharmaceutical products used for the treatment of fatigue, narcolepsy, and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. They also involve ecstasy, the MDMA, um, uh, other uh, stimulants like ephedrine, pseudoephedrine that you can find in OTC uh, products for um, cold and flu, you, you don't find ephedrine anymore, but you find pseudoephedrine. And finally, our uh, phenethylene or keptagon, the topic of uh, this uh, talk. Uh, talking of amphetamine type stimulants, amphetamine type stimulants are now, uh, according to the UN OTC World Drug Report in 2022, it is the, or they are, the amphetamine type stimulants, they are the second most commonly used substances worldwide um, after, after hashish. Uh, uh, and as you can see, um, the methamphetamine has increased in the past, changed from the previous year, increased by 16%. Uh, the total amphetamines by 15%. Um, uh, the amphetamine it, itself as an ingredient reduced by 5%. And what I am going to talk about the captagon, which lies here with other amphetamine type stimulants, increased by 53%. According to the UNODC, it is estimated that 0.7% of the global population aged between 15 and 64 years of age, years old, they um, used methamphetamines uh, in the in the past year, and 20 million, they used ecstasy in the past year. Um, of course, the, the type and the form of amphetamines used vary considerably among regions and subregions. In North America, for example, you can see that North America is the, is the top. And um, the, the prevalence in the, of use in the past year was 3.9%, um, um, most of which were pharmaceutical products. Uh, where Oceania, for example, uh, which is Australia and uh, New Zealand, the use of crystal meth predominates. Uh, since we are in the Middle East, we care about you know, our region where Keptagon predominates. So again, what uh, is Keptagon? Keptagon is phenethylene. And when I want to talk about the prevalence of use compare and com you know, compared to other regions of the world, uh, I mentioned 3.9% in North America uh, in total of, of amphetamines. Regarding Keptagon, uh, according to the recent study conducted by medical students at the University of Jordan in 2021, uh, only on university students, uh, the most widely used stimulant uh, was Keptagon. Speaking of all the amphetamine type stimulants, and this study was conducted on 8,000 739 university students and high, high school students in Jordan. So uh, with a prevalence of 2.6% of using um, uh, uh, Captagon. 
In another study that we conducted um, in collaboration with Al-Yarmouk University, okay, um, between the years of 2014-2018, the confiscations of the seizures of uh, Captagon uh, summed up to 250 million in the four years between 2014 and 2018, all of which indicated the the burden of Cap that Captagon has on society in Jordan. And we all uh, read the news uh, recently in December 20, uh, sorry, 2022 about the seizure of 6 million tablets smuggled in date paste. That, you know, uh, that was on BBC and all other uh, uh, news. Uh, so again, what is Captagon? Captagon, the name Captagon is the old brand name and the new street name for a psychoactive drug. Uh, in the 60s, it was uh, produced by a German company called Digosa Pharma Gruppe, in which tablets uh, that contained 50 milligrams of phenethylene used to treat ADHD, narcolepsy, um, uh, fatigue, and other um, uh, conditions. Uh, it, it was um, first non-prescription you know, in Germany under, under different brand names, and then it was regulated to become prescription only, uh, after which you know, the liability for abuse was discovered. So uh, different governments in Europe and the US declared it as controlled substance in, in 1981, so it was withdrawn and the manufacturing ceased. As for Jordan, in 1988, Captagon as a substance, as a drug, was scheduled, and now it is uh, placed in Schedule 6, which contains stimulants. Captagon uh, is a prodrug that uh, has a phenethylene as active ingredient. After ingestion, it is metabolized in the liver to the two active ingredients, amphetamine and theophylline, both of which are CNS stimulants. However, the main addictive substance of Captagon uh, is the amphetamine. Theophylline is a bronchodilator and also it's a mild uh, CNS stimulant. So both of them, they contribute to the CNS stimulant effect of, uh, of Captagon. However, on the other hand, the tablet that is sold on the illegal marketplace in our subregion, uh, especially the one that, you know, that has the Captagon logo, this is the original Captagon logo that has the two C or the semi, the, the half moons, you know, opposite. Uh, not necessarily contains the active ingredient that I talked about, the phenethylene. According to uh, research, um, different research studies that was conducted in Jordan, and I would like to, due to the time, just to mention this one, uh, that was conducted by the Drug Control Department of the Public Security Directorate in 2005. They um, analyzed samples from 124 batches seized, out of which none contained the active ingredient phenethylene. They contained uh, different active ingredients, you know, cheap drugs, you know, chlorpheramine, procaine, uh, trimethoprim, which is an antibiotic, chloroquine, quinine, antimalarial, caffeine, metronidazole, which is an antifungal, uh, and none of them contained the active ingredient. Uh, those are the street names uh, of Captagon and Jordan, Kabet, Abu Hlalain, which means the two crescents, Kapti, uh, and I would also like to note, and this is something that I will mention again uh, in the findings of our qualitative research, is that uh, different logos on different tablets available on the street indicates the different uh, potency uh, and the active ingredients. And thus, it also 
uh, this, uh, determines the price of a tablet. And not necessarily that all the tablets contain phenethylene. Some of them, according to the forensic lab, uh, it turned out to, to uh, contain MDMA, which is ecstasy, but it is sold uh, as Captagon on the street. Uh, Captagon mainly is administered orally. However, other uh, methods of administration were also reported in the literature, like smoking, snorting, IV, subcutaneous, and intraperitoneal. Uh, speaking of the salt effects of Captagon, Captagon has uh, short-term and long-term effects. Why do people take Captagon? Well, the short-term effects uh, are uh, to provide mental and psychomotor uh, uh, performance to improve the mental and psychomotor performance, uh, to provide feeling of well-being, to stimulate physical performance. Mainly, it is uh, promoted among university students and drivers of long distances, like lorries, you know, trucks, uh, Jordan, Turkey, Jordan, Germany, um, and to students during, especially during the, the exam period. Um, Captagon um, is reported to stimulate the uh, CNS to elevate the heart rate, body temperature, respiration, and to elevate body temperature moderately, and also to suppress appetite. That's why it is, among other um, amphetamines, promoted also to lose weight. On the long run, it will cause, uh, however, extreme depression, lethargy, insomnia, and this is one reason why uh, you can rarely find someone abusing or using captagon, but not using uh, other sedative hypnotics, for example, to get them to sleep. Uh, heart failure, uh, MI, blurred vision, irritability, and uh, other sorts of problems. Uh, quickly, in the remaining time, I would like to uh, touch base on the most important um, findings of my part of the study, which involved experiences of uh, users and therapists in Jordan regarding captagon. Uh, uh, data saturation, uh, we reached data saturation after interviewing 27 participants, 20 users and seven therapists, most of which were male, uh, except five, one user and four therapists. The interviews lasted between 10 and 45 minutes and the median age was 27. The majority, as I mentioned earlier, uh, they combined captagon with hashish, alcohol or heroin. Just to give you an idea of the uh, uh, occupation of the participants uh, in our study, the users mainly. You can find medical students, university students, um, uh, tour guide, watch repairs, a medical doctor, sailor, butcher, so all sorts of, of uh, occupations and different education levels, uh, high school, um, uh, bachelor, uh, low, low school business management, Okay, um, our data analysis elicited uh, six, six main themes. Uh, of course, due to the time, I'm not going to go through the sub-themes, but I'm going to touch base on the most important uh, themes that were uh, elicited by uh, both users and uh, therapists during the interviews. Uh, definition of captagon involving the uh, the, the meaning of captagon to, to the participants, effects patterns of use and withdrawal under which came also the potency, the price, the different types on the street, uh, motivations to the use of captagon and also motivations to the treatment uh, of, 
of cryptagon addiction, the main sources and the ease of accessibility, and finally, the impact of COVID-19 on their uh, use and also the accessibility of treatment. Uh, first theme, as I said, the definition of cryptagon, all therapists and the majority of users, they um, identified or they knew that cryptagon was CNS stimulant. Uh, and despite the pharmaceutical shape, because this is actually uh, where promotion of cryptagon comes from, mainly the pharmaceutical shape of, uh, of the tablet shape makes people think that they are taking a medicine. Uh, but uh, during our research, uh, all um, the participants, they knew that it is not a pharmaceutical preparation, as you can see in this quote. Okay, but Captagon isn't a medication. I don't know, it's a stimulant, but you don't think it's a medication? I asked him, he said no. Uh, regarding the effects, patterns of use and withdrawal symptoms, uh, the study explored the different effects Captagon had on the participants based on their own experiences and motives of use. The main effect Captagon had was its stimulant effect, whether it's mental or physical, which made user opt, users opt for it as a mean to, to improving performance in work or studying. As you can see here, when I am on Captagon, I am fully active. I would finish five days worth of work in a single day. I could stay up for two to three days. Then I asked him, does it make you study better? He said, at the beginning, yes. Well, as we said, that uh, uh, pharmacologically, it will pose tolerance. So with time, they will lose or, uh, all the positive showed effect and they will no longer feel the mental and physical stimulation. Uh, nevertheless, they will start feeling the long-term side effects. Um, also under the effect um, and the patterns of use comes very important determinant for the effect, which is the type and the source of pills. Uh, almost all participants stated that the more expensive types are proven to be of higher purity and subsequently offer a greater extent and duration of stimulation. The range of price or the price range between one and 10 JVs. Um, and some of them mentioned that they would take 10 or 20 of the, of the uh, cheap or the local, they call it the local type with the two crescents and they won't feel anything. Some of them called it choke, tabashir, choke, which is the, you know, the, uh, to indicate the, the useless uh, effect. You have the Lexus, as, as, as I show you um, recently in the, in the picture. You have the Lexus, this is the purest type, as the user, I can take one pill and it would uh, stay effective for three days. Okay, then I asked him, what about the type with the horse's head? He said, this is the very good type. It comes from Israel. Not the one with the Star of David, I asked him. The one of Star of David is also pretty good. Okay, so the ones with the Star of David and the horse's head are both from Israel. He said, yes, five pills from the local type with the two crescents are equivalent to one pill of the Israeli ones. Uh, social consequences also comes un under the effect. Um, at the beginning, um, all of them, they mentioned that they would become more sociable and it will remove the inhibitions. But with time, they will feel isolated. Uh, they, you know, isolated from their family, friends. Uh, it will cause family problems, divorce, violence. I'm not going to read 
all the quotes, but for example, this one, I was very energized and I was able to get along with people better at the beginning. It gives you courage as well. You can enter the manager's office and talk to him without any sort of barriers between you. You don't feel scared of him and I got used to it. Uh, regarding um, the side effects, um, the, the most commonly um, reported side effect was paranoia, which will uh, lead eventually to criminal behavior and distrust of family and friends and low self-esteem. I became extra suspicious. I started thinking that people were conspiring against me. When people were around me, I always had a feeling that they would do something. Uh, these spells strip you trust away with, uh, towards everyone. Captagon contributes to crimes associated with aggression. It's highly associated with crime related to violence. Um, very important side effect that I would like to mention is the myth mouth. The myth mouth uh, characteristic is the severe tooth decay and uh, fall of teeth uh, and gum uh, erosion. In one study that was uh, funded by the National Institute of Drug Abuse, on 571 myth users, 96% of them had activities, 58% had untreated tooth decay, and 31% had six or more missing teeth. And this uh, particular patient was telling me about how he could pull out his tooth, wisdom tooth, with his hand easily. Um, Different users, they use different quantities, um, and, and many of them, they used 20 pills daily. They started with the quarter pill, and they, they started to, to raise or they increase the, the amount gradually because of tolerance. Uh, all of them uh, reported that they had uh, tolerance, and they mixed the, the drug, the captagon, with other drugs, either to boost the effect or to get them to sleep. As you can see here, if I want to go to work, I would use Captagon, not marijuana. At night, when I get back from work, I would smoke marijuana. Captagon gave me energy. It made me active and highly focused. Captagon is for doing duties. Weed is for when you are at home doing nothing. The withdrawal symptoms, usually in pharmacology, withdrawal symptoms of substances are the opposite of the clinical effects. So with Captagon, they reported laziness, feeling sleepy, tired, irritability, depression, head on body aches, and inability to interact with people. Uh, the motivations for Captagon use, uh, most of them, they um, used Captagon to help them work and earn money or to study better. We had the one only uh, female user you know, participant in our study using Captagon for a health or for for health reason, you know, to get her over her back pain because she couldn't she couldn't get the pregabaline anymore because it was scheduled in Jordan since 2017. So some of uh, her friends um, recommended Captagon. Main sources were drug dealers, friends, and acquaintances. Uh, all participants reported that it was easy to get Captagon. None of them reported any problems to get Captagon, even during COVID, as you would see. Uh, and especially uh, uh, the cheap price was particularly mentioned as one of the uh, motives or reasons to use Captagon. I used to take it from people, acquaintances. I live in a village that's filled with drug dealers. It wasn't hard task for me to find my fix. It was cheap. They used to get the 200 pills for 80 JDs. They tell the guy that it's 80 or 100 for the 200 pills. Uh, 
Regarding the treatment, I'm not going to go uh, deep into detail, uh, but the main motivation to treatment was um, uh, family and friends and the, uh, the, to, to get rid of the uh, long-term side effects. More than half of our participants admitted themselves voluntarily. And as you know that the Jordanian law will uh, exempt you from prosecution if you go to treatment voluntarily, which encourages people to uh, go and seek treatment. Uh, however, the, the rest, they were brought family willingly or compulsory. Finally, the impact of COVID-19, uh, some of our participants surprisingly reported uh, the easy access during lockdown. They said that uh, their, uh, you know, Captagon was delivered by those who had permit or stopped during the, some of them tried to stop during the, the pandemic. Only one participant reported that he succeeded to stop using drug during the, uh, the pandemic. Uh, um, therapists, they reported shift during the pandemic from Captagon to other um, substances like this uh, quote, a shift to Joker has been noted between June and August he meant 2020, due to the re reduced manufacturing and quantities getting one's hand on Cryptagon has become harder in general. That's it for me, and I will leave it uh, to my colleague, Dr. Stinkham, to talk to you about the other part of our research and findings. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Carol, do you just want me to go into sharing yes, my slides? If you just go, yes, if you just go straight on, if you can share your... Um, uh, sure, I think it's that one. Can you see it? Yes, perfect. Thank you. Perfect. Great. Ah. Um, okay, well, thank you very much. And thank you to Carol for the invitation to um, come and present uh, our, our work here at the CBRL. And it's lovely to catch up with Carol again and uh, to see everyone. Um, okay, so uh, I'll, I'll get started. Um, where Mayada focused in her project on the experiences of uh, Captagon users um, and the treatment uh, of uh, this uh, use, uh, in my part of the project, I focused on the trafficking part. So where does the Captagon come from? How does it get into Jordan? And what is Jordan doing uh, about it? Uh, so in my part of the project, I focused on interviews with policymakers um, in, for example, the Public uh, Security Directorate, the Anti-Narcotics Department uh, in particular, uh, and UN agencies uh, and so on uh, in Jordan, who all have a stake uh, or an interest uh, in this, this issue. Um, so where does the Captagon come from? Well, I think it's very clear that the Captagon that we find in Jordan uh, originates from Syria, mostly. And as um, I think Mayara has mentioned as well, uh, Captagon obviously has a long history. Um, and we see it was really sort of from 2013 that it became very clear that in the Middle East, uh, and certainly since then in the world, uh, Syria has become a major producer, uh, if not the major producer of Captagon uh, by now. Uh, and especially since 2018, once the uh, Syrian uh, regime with the help of, of Russian support and international allies 
managed to regain control uh, in southern Syria, we have seen a dramatic increase in captagon production uh, in the south of Syria, and with that, an increase in uh, trafficking into Jordan, which of course shares a border there. Uh, so I guess we can ask a question, well, how has this happened, that production of Captagon moved from initially uh, the Eastern Europe and the Balkans, then to Lebanon, and then from there to Syria? And I think there's a, a few uh, uh, main explanations for that. Uh, one of them is that Syria has ha always had a very good pharmaceutical uh, industry, which means that the factories were there, the uh, technological knowledge was within the amongst the population. Um, the road networks, transport networks, and so on were already pre-existing uh, before the war even broke out. Uh, there has also been a very long uh, history of regime involvement in smuggling uh, through Syrian territory. So prior to the war, we have seen involvement of uh, the the Syrian government in uh, trafficking illegal shipments from Lebanon, for example, through Syrian territory uh, to markets in the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, so there's a long history of regime involvement in smuggling uh, in Syria. Uh, of course, with the, uh, uh, the outbreak of war in 2011, 2012, uh, we also see a shift away from law enforcement, or you know, there's less of an interest in dealing with responding to drug trafficking uh, because they are they have other uh, fights to fight so to speak uh, so that certainly creates as we see in war zones worldwide once war breaks out it creates certain opportunities um, and lowers the the sort of the costs of um, uh, uh, trafficking and producing drugs uh, of, also of course with war comes the need to for armed groups to raise funds to make money, to buy weapons, to pay combatants, uh, etc. And then, so that's pretty much how production really started, Capricorn production started uh, in the war uh, with some of the armed groups uh, turning to Capricorn production to start and trafficking, to make money, to uh, fight their armed struggle. Uh, and then Syria's geographical location makes it obviously very um, uh, well positioned uh, to engage and to participate in this uh, trade. It is uh, it shares land borders uh, with several countries. It has a, a coastline. It has airports, uh, but also it is not far from the main consumer countries in the uh, the Gulf and the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, in particular. So those are sort of the main reasons uh, we've identified of why Syria became a main Captagon producer in the first place. Of course, since then, since 2013, we have seen significant developments, which I'll talk about uh, later. Uh, right, just quickly uh, about the different groups involved in trafficking, and this does sort of change uh, periodically and so on, but sort of at the moment or over the last uh, two years, we have seen uh, the following groups primarily involved. So you can see there on the um, the picture I have there, the map uh, showing the movement of uh, Captagon from Syria into uh, across the southern border into Jordan. 
So, of course, in southern Syria, you've got various uh, militia groups, uh, armed military groups, some of them linked to Le Lebanon, some of them linked to the Syrian government and Iran. Uh, and they cooperate very closely with uh, smuggling and organized crime groups uh, who sort of operate across that uh, Syrian-Jordanian border. Uh, so on that border in particular, you also have uh, tribal groups there who have kinship links on both sides of the border and a long, very long tradition of trade, formally and informally, uh, across that border. Um, and then, of course, since uh, economic, socioeconomic conditions have really deteriorated in that area, uh, northern Jordan, uh, the north of Jordan and, and, and southern Syria due to border closures, due to the war um, and, and other reasons, um, that has sort of created uh, uh, additional reasons or um, uh, opportunities to become for, for the local populations to become involved uh, in this trade uh, and trafficking. Uh, and then inside Jordan, we've seen in the last few months uh, in newspaper reports, uh, reporting a, a real sort of crackdown within Jordan on local dealers. So people selling uh, Captagon to the local Jordanian market. Um, I think this uh, example of a newspaper report from the Jordan Times there shows that, um, uh, I think uh, if I remember the story correctly, the uh, a person was um, in a sting operation. He tried to sell two tablets of Captagon to an undercover policeman. He was obviously then caught. And he got uh, three years in prison uh, and uh, three, more than 3,000 US, uh, sorry, uh, JD uh, fine um, for trying to sell two tablets. So I think that the, clearly uh, there are groups inside Jordan, there are Dina leaders inside Jordan, the Jordanian uh, authorities are obviously now focusing on, on making that unattractive as well. And then here, as you see from a quote there uh, from our research, um, it was uh, very clear that uh, they, the authorities do think that a lot of the um, uh, the captagon that circulates within and gets sold within Jordan come from sort of leakage uh, from local storage facilities um, where the, the shipments are stored before they move on uh, in their journey uh, to other countries. Okay, so what we were uh, really interested in was to see how Jordan responds to Captagon uh, trafficking. And from our interviews, uh, it became clear that there were sort of three uh, uh, principles that guided uh, Jordan's response to Captagon trafficking. Firstly, it was focusing on the border and on controlling uh, the border and preventing the shipments from reaching Jordan in the first place. Uh, and as I said before, that, that 360 odd kilometer land border, which they share with Syria is sort of the main entry point uh, for Captagon into Jordan. Uh, this in, uh, border control has become increasingly a conflict, uh, uh, violent, uh, and, and has really turned into a conflict since 2022, so since last year, when uh, the Jordanian authorities announced that they are going to use force uh, to respond to smuggling uh, operations. So we have seen that uh, several millions of Captagon tablets confiscated last year. In fact, that figure is actually higher 
uh, now, as Mayara said in her talk, uh, six million were confiscated the other day or a month ago or so, just on the Iraqi border as well. Um, uh, several smugglers have been killed, some soldiers as well. Uh, we can see at least 160 smuggling groups are reportedly uh, active on the Syrian-Jordanian border. And they are increasingly sophisticated in the methods that they use. They sort of use drones uh, to drop shipments of Captagon across the border uh, and so on. Uh, the second uh, focal point or focus in the Jordanian uh, response to, to Captagon trafficking was clearly to destroy local manufacturing as and when they find it, there was a well-publicized um, laboratory found in 2018, which was then dismantled uh, by the, the, um, the army and the police. Um, so far, uh, no one has told us about anything else that has been found in terms of local production. So who knows, um, but that is the sort of the big one we know of in 2018. Um, and then uh, thirdly, obviously treating the users um, of Captagon and Mayada has talked about that in length, so I won't spend time um, on that. Right, so from our uh, interviews, and I've got a few quotes there illustrating uh, some complicating factors in Jordan's response to Captagon trafficking. So what are the problems that they encounter? Well, firstly, the fact that as long as there is political instability, in Syria, then they realize in Jordan that really they are going to have to continue to deal with Captagon coming into uh, Jordan um, because the instability creates conditions for manufacturing and for, for trafficking. Uh, so as long as it is, like one respondent said, as long as it's a mess over there, uh, then they will have to deal with the, the fallout of that mess. Uh, secondly, um, and this uh, interview we did there was, I think, in 2017, so it was some time ago, right at the start of the project, and then there was real optimism, uh, I think, in within the anti-narcotics department, saying, well, as soon as this conflict just ends in Syria, and we have a government who is able and willing to cooperate with us and to actually do something about the Captagon trade, then we will have a reliable cooperative partner that we can work with and we can have effective cross-border sort of uh, uh, cooperation. Um, as we know now, uh, that has never really happened. So even though there might be uh, some degree of political stability in, in, in Syria or um, certainly better than it was in 2017, um, we know now from reports that the Syrian government and the Syrian regime is increasingly itself involved in the manufacturing and the trafficking of, of this uh, narcotic. So the hopes in Amman of having a willing cooperating partner in uh, Damascus, um, I think, seem a far way off. And then I think, uh, thirdly, another uh, problem that Jordan is facing in its response is the fact that the Captagon smuggling is clearly uh, not the only um, smuggling economy uh, across that border. Uh, it is part of a wider um, uh, economy of smuggling of weapons, uh, human trafficking, um, 
uh, people moving across that border uh, for various reasons. So I think it's uh, it has to be addressed uh, in that sort of holistic perspective as well. And that, that makes it difficult. It's not just about the drugs. And then lastly, I think um, just a few words about future challenges uh, for uh, Jordan. I think the extent to which capture Bogon manufacturing in Jordan will become established, that remains to be seen, but that is a real danger. Um, and that could lead, uh, introduce all kinds of different dynamics. And of course, with that, you will see increasing levels of domestic consumption, which we are already seeing in Jordan. And I think that is part of the authorities' uh, decision uh, to crack down on local dealers um, is in response to that. Um, and of course, that has public health um, repercussions, as Mayada has outlined. Uh, and then lastly, I think the, the continued presence of various uh, internationally linked um, um, militant groups in southern Syria and their very heavy involvement in the Captagon uh, production and trafficking uh, trade um, is, is a real concern, I think, for the region, uh, but also for certainly for Jordan um, as well. Um, whether that could lead to further regional instability uh, or certainly prevent uh, um, a resolution uh, to any, any instability. Um, and I think that's it. Thank you very much, uh, Carol. Thank you very much to you, um, to you both for your presentations, uh, which uh, are very comprehensive. And, and I remember um, very well from the workshop and also um, I note that there is that you have a few updates as well, because um, one of my um, I remember that uh, uh, a lot was done. A lot of the study was done during COVID and all that you did to continue this excellent work. And um, one of my questions, if I'm, I'm going to take chair's privilege and start um, to say um, what has happened now? What has happened in in that uh, in that year since? Um, I think you're suggesting it, or but it, is it more of a problem, less of a problem? How do the authorities uh, view it um, since the pandemic finished? I don't know who would like to answer that question. I. I can say something quickly about the the trafficking bit. Um, I think it is, um, I, I think it is certainly a worry that uh, we see, uh, you know, especially in southern Syria, this increased involvement of various groups uh, who all have political agendas uh, and certain uh, capacities who are involved in the the trafficking and the production of of Captagon. Um, and that has certainly increased. I mean, uh, it is uh, the, uh, the the sort of estimates are that it has become the Syria Syria's main export um, to a large degree over the last year or two. Um, so I think that is that is certainly a new development. That is certainly in terms sort of politically and um, in terms of sort of international security. That is a a, um, a big concern. I don't know if Mayada wants to say anything about domestic. Um, consumption levels? Uh, domestic consumption levels in Jordan, if I, if I want to report the top three substances in Jordan, 
Captagon is definitely the first or the second. It comes, you know, crystal meth currently, Captagon and hashish are the top three. And uh, this is different from surrounding countries uh, because I know friends working in the in a similar area um, in neighboring countries, and I know that heroin, for example, is one of the top substances there. But in Jordan, luckily, luckily, injecting heroin is not on top of our list. But Kiptagon, unfortunately, is and crystal myth currently even among females. Yes, thank thank you. Um, I we do have some questions that are coming in in the question and answer, and I'm also noting that uh, Professor Mayada is answering <laughs> is, is answering some of some of them too. But to uh, uh, to share some of those, um, the first question um, was about uh, the so-called is Israeli-made tablets. Um, um, and the chemical composition of those, and um, how commonplace it is to find inside uh, Jordan. Um, and if you can just share, uh, Mayada, your answers with, with the group, um, just so that uh, yeah. we can clarify this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, uh, the answer is, uh, well, uh, um, I... Uh, did not find any study coming from the forensic lab apart from the one that I uh, presented with you that uh, uh, dates back to 2005. But uh, I phoned friends at the forensic lab to ask them about, you know, uh, preliminary results that they, they found. And they reported that the, the horse shape and the star tablets, they did not contain phenethylene, they contained MDMA, which is ecstasy. And probably this is the reason why they have the reputation among users, you know, the ones with the, with the star and the horse, they have the reputation of being the most powerful and probably the most expensive as well, because they, they don't contain caffeine and procaine and quinine like the rest. Um, uh, regarding the second part of the question, how commonplace is it to find inside Jordan? Uh, well, the quick answer is I don't know, since... Uh, um, that the users, they reported that they got these powerful tablets from friends, you know, coming and going, traveling, you know, across the border. So and that was the quote from the user, but not necessarily that it has only one source. Probably it has different sources. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it partly marketing that people... Um think of a particular source as being um, better or, or um, and but it's not actually where it's made, but it's part of marketing that people will, um, as we saw, uh, some of the symbols were like um, prestige cars and all of these things. So is it really um, from Israel or is it marketing or multiple sources it is different sources different sources probably the quote that i showed you know on my slide uh, was talking about particular source but um, um, uh, it is the the common practice among users to know the potency of the tablets by color and by you know different other experiments that they conduct on the tablet to show that this is good quality or not. It's their own you know, stuff that they know. Uh, they can use light or any other um, uh, you know, material to 
to know or to learn about the potency. In addition to the logo that has, you know, we know that, you know, dealers, they uh, mark or they brand their manufacturing, you know, either powder or hashish or whatever by certain logo to show the quality. So it's among, you know, it's a, like a common culture among users to, to know that, for example, the one with two crescents is cheap and it's poor stuff, whereas the one with a star or with a horse head is better, it's good, it's more expensive. Thank you. I'm just going to go to the chat. Um, we've got another question in the Q&A also from the same uh, attendee, but just in the chat, we've got, um, thank you for such an insightful study, but could there be a relation between social status and this uh, drug use? And part two, which regions in Jordan um, is Captagon common? So about social status and where in the country is it most commonly used? Good questions. Uh, who would like to answer? This? Yeah, well, uh, according to the same study that was conducted by medical students from University of Jordan on the 8,700, you know, uh, students that I was um, referring to, which hasn't been published yet, but uh, the manuscript has been written. Uh, in the data, most of the users in this particular study, they came from the South, but not necessarily because uh, the, the users that I uh, meet uh, in the treatment centers, they come from different parts of Jordan. But according to this study, the quantitative one that was conducted uh, on students, most of them come from the South. Okay, and, uh, and sorry, status? Uh, yes, please carry on. No, sorry, just, I, I think, um, Mayara, I don't think we got the impression in our research that, that the, it is geographically no. Uh, in our study, no. In our in no. our study, in our qualitative study, uh, Chrissy, no. But in the other study, you know, the quantitative one, the survey, you know, and um, uh, while you are answering, I can go back to the to the figure they have or the table. Uh, but um, I'm pretty sure that most of the answers, but not necessarily, this indicates that most of the users they come from the south, but. Uh, that was quantitatively, but our study, it's not representative because it is qualitative. And they come from all parts. Okay. And uh, social status, um, is there a difference in, I mean, you said it's uh, students and, uh, and can be quite professional people. Um, I think you said not so many women, but um, is there any relationship between um, social status and, and this particular drug use that you can identify? Uh, from my experience, there is no link between the social status and Captagon, uh, bearing in mind that it's a very cheap okay. uh, substance, you know? Uh, so, uh, you know, anybody can buy it. Uh, so it's not linked to uh, certain socioeconomic status, for example. If I can just add to, to that, when we talk about user groups um, and, and social um, or social characteristics, we did, I mean, a weakness in our study, if we have to be honest, is that we don't, we didn't manage to get many female users. Um, and I think just because 
they, they are underrepresented in treatment uh, facilities and treatment programs. Uh, anyway, so we have very little idea really of how, whether there's a gender um, uh, dynamic at play in terms of the use of, of Captagon. Um, but also the interviews that we did have with women were really very, with, with female users who were receiving treatment, were very insightful in um, the, their experience of drug use and the reasons for why they use it and the dynamics surrounding that and the reasons why they look for treatment seem to be just from these few um, interviews that we have, very different from that of men. So I think there's, and this is something we would want to address in our, our, our future work is to look more at, at the, the female experience, the sort of gendered nature of of drug addiction and, and treatment, and especially with Captagon. Okay. Clearly the Jordanian authorities are, are sort of clamping down on it, but do you have any sense of how socially acceptable it is? Um, if it's uh, <laughs> among the people that you interviewed, did they just see it as a useful tool and it was fine to help them study and do well in their exams or, um, do you have any sense of uh, uh, sort of different attitudes um, by users and authorities? I think Mayada, you will probably know more since you live in in Jordan. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Carol, uh, your voice was cut for a while. Can you please repeat the question? Um, I'm just. I mean, how obviously the way it. It's, um, the authorities in Jordan are coming are, uh, are coming down quite hard, obviously, on it. And uh, as you said, it's scheduled, but it's, as you've shown, very commonly available. What's the sort of attitude among the people you interviewed about um, its acceptability? Is it just, you know, something that's um, acceptable, uh, helps you to do well in an exam or... Um, or to get through a sort of difficult period, or is it um, uh, looked look down upon, say, within the family, this sort of thing? Um, do you have do you, do you have a sense of how it's uh, it's viewed um, socially? I mean, I, I'm sure there's going to be variation, but do you have a sense of um, is it just yet yeah, something handy to use if you need to? Um, <laughs> revised for an exam or something like that? Uh, from what I see, uh, it is a, still perceived as uh, a substance of abuse. You know, um, I know that, um, you know, from the study that we conducted, you know, the quantitative one, I know that some students, they use Captagon. Um, I think the percentage that we had, as I showed you, was 5.2% in the past month. Uh, among high school and university students all over Jordan. So I know that some of them use it, but it's still the, since you asked me about the attitude and how they perceive it, it is still perceived as a substance of abuse. And even among the users that I meet at the addiction treatment centers, um, stigma is available. Well, stigma is a double-edged sword. I talk about stigma, it's a double-edged sword. It's, it's good for them to come and seek treatment because, uh, it is not okay to use drugs, you know, to study or for any other uh, 
sorts of thing. But stigma at the, at the same time um, is, a, is a barrier for some people to go and seek treatment. You know, uh, if you may allow me also speaking of stigma, uh, since Chrissy mentioned, you know, the uh, small number of females in the treatment, do we perceive this now the number of females in treatment is increasing? Do we perceive this as positive or negative? We can look at it either way because it's good to have more females in treatment. This means that awareness is, in, you know, is increasing regarding treatment. Um, and it's more accepted, you know, for females with problems to go and seek treatment. At the same time, it's negative because does that mean that we have more female users? It depends, you know, on the perspective. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. I mean, I, I'm going to go back to some, some questions. Obviously, I can, I can ask uh, Ask more another question from Caroline Rose. Um, did you identify any emphasis on lab testing more batches of seized captagon tablets? Um, uh, going on, there is a concern about some of the new chemical inputs inside captagon pills. And did you find any renewed interest from Jordanian authorities in testing more frequently? Um, I you typed your answer as well, but I, I think the audience would like to hear it too. Yeah, well, um, the, the answer that I have actually is anecdotal. It is not published uh, in the literature, but I know, I know that the forensic lab uh, um, gets to analyze all or most or take random samples of the confiscated or deceased batches. Uh, especially with the evolving and the soaring of the NPSs worldwide, the new psychoactive substances like uh, synthetic cannabinoids and placa, you know, the synthetic caffeinones, which uh, which um, changes uh, uh, ingredients every day, you know, constantly. So the, the forensic lab needs to be updated regarding the ingredients of the tablets available, even in the illicit market, of course, uh, including Captagon. And this is how we knew that the available captagon is not really the old the 60s captagon or phenethylin. It's not phenethylin, it's any anything else, everything else. Thank you. Um, yes, we have another question. Um, it, it's broad, sort of what are the implications of the study for uh, stakeholders, Jordanian students. I think the question is really directed what for young adults, Jordanian students, what do you feel sort of the message of this of the of the study you've been doing um, is? Um, and this I think reflects some of the comments we're getting in the chat about raising awareness. Um, so if you uh, would like to um, would like to say say more on that on that topic on what you think uh, this study can contribute to uh, to these particular students and young adult popula populations in Jordan. Uh, well, <clears throat> coming from the academia, um, uh, I would say that um, well, this study and other studies um, has a very important implication on, as you said, raising awareness and. Um, educating students about the short and long term, the positive and the negative, well, the sort, when I say positive, it's the short term, the sort, you know, short term effects of any substance that they hear in the news, 
um, since I am a, like I work in the school of pharmacy and I um, teach future pharmacists, I feel obliged that um, I raise their awareness about, uh, you know, the, the shape of tablets, the availability of the tablets in the illicit market, uh, what to do if they encounter, you know, uh, a case, where to go, you know, where to seek help, uh, that kind of thing. And I would leave the other part of the, of the answer to Chrissy because she also, um, she dealt in her part of the research with the other stakeholders. Yeah, I think just to add, um, I mean, I think the question specifically asked about young people, what what are the sort of what's the message for young people? And and I think for any user of of uh, illegal drugs is that you don't really know what's in it, you know, so I think that's, you know, that that's a real issue. And, and these analysis show that there's a lot of different things in different pills with different pictures on, you know, so you're taking things and you don't actually know what is in it. Um, but that is a universal problem with uh, a, a drug taking uh, anyway. Uh, just to add to that as well, when I teach my students and I, my students in the UK and I teach peace and conflict studies and, and we, we often have sessions where we talk about the relationship between conflict and organized crime and how that takes very different forms and so on. But I often say to them, you know, because it's, it's a, a worldwide uh, issue, we see it in South America and, and so on as well. You know, I said to them, well, you know, when you are taking drugs socially or at the party or whatever and we know that students do that worldwide you know just think as a politics and a, a peace and conflict studies student you know think about where does that come from and and what are the um you know what are its connections with bloodshed um you know and and are you are effectively supporting and contributing to that economy mm -hmm. um if, by consuming and buying uh these drugs whether you know I don't think for one second that it's putting them off <laughs> you know or changing their behavior on a Saturday night but I feel that uh, it's my duty to say that yes absolutely 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 and um so I realize that that time is uh is 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 running out but I'm just going to ask the question, the where next, what are your next studies? Do you have, um, uh, what would you, what work, how would you like to follow up? Do you have ideas of how you'd like to work together in future on, on this on this issue or students of yours? Uh, on the workshop day, we, um, there were some wonderful students who were following up um, with you on, on this amazing study. So, so where, um, what would you like to do um, next, the direction of your research and outreach and um, awareness raising? I, I can start on that and maybe Mayada can, can add. We, we've just, Mayada and, uh, and I, uh, with another colleague at, at Brooks um, as well, who works a lot on migration studies, uh, we've actually just received funding to do a sort of, a, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of seed funding to to explore the possibility of a great a larger study um, looking at the connection between Captagon and uh, migration uh, migrant populations and refugees in in Jordan and of course the idea is certainly not to contribute to any sort of securitization agenda where migrants or refugees are seen as a security threat but there is some anecdotal um, 
evidence that there are links between Captagon uh, and, and refugees. So we're interested in sort of seeing in the consumption patterns amongst uh, refugee populations, the access to treatment that they have, the support that they need, uh, and how they get that once they are in uh, Jordan. Um, and then also to look at how authorities respond to, to these um, linkages and, and, and to what extent these linkages are real um, and so on. So that, that's a sort of a larger future project that we are working on. Uh, now, Mayad, I don't know if you want to add. Uh, yes, well, um, nothing to add actually, Chrissy. As, uh, uh, hopefully that uh, this, will, this grant will get through. I would also, uh, if I get the opportunity, uh, I would also like to pursue uh, and study the link between the different types of tablets and the effects, different, you know, the effects of different ingredients on, on users. You know, this is something that that I would think is really interesting, you know, sometime in the future. Yeah, thank you, and congratulations on uh, on on the new uh, on the new funding. And um, it would be interesting uh, to uh, maybe invite you back in future to uh, to update to update us. Um, so yes, uh, really, uh, our time is drawing to a close, and I would just like to thank uh, very much Dr. Chrissy Steenkamp, who I realize is now reader <laughs> in, <laughs> and, um, and Professor Mayada Wazefi for, for this really illuminating and, uh, um, and thought-provoking um, uh, webinar today, and for agreeing um, to share your results with CBRL and, and, and our audience and to thank everybody who has who has attended today. Both uh, Professor Mayada and Dr. Chrissy have said they would welcome if anyone would like to write to them they, um, or follow up with them, they would be happy to answer more questions. And um, and yeah, and I hope uh, it would, to see you in Jordan um, <laughs> again, both together. It was a very wonderful day that uh, when you and your students and your researchers came to, to give your the presentation on your results. So thank you very much. Um, and, um, and yes, and for those of you attending, uh, Please do, uh, if you're not already, sign up to CBRL's um, mailing list. We do all sorts of all sorts of things, and uh, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at another time. Thank you very much, and final thank you to um, Yasmin, who's behind the CBRL online, who's been taking care of us and uh, making sure that everybody. Um, and making sure, yes, sign up to our newsletter, and making sure that everybody was informed and had links and uh, and uh, overseeing uh, the social media as well as the technicalities today. So thank you, Yasmin, and um, I wish you all a, uh, a pleasant rest of evening. Um, so good night. Bye-bye. <laughs>